In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Through the grace of God, we will study today the first chapter of the first epistle of St. Paul to the Corinthians. And at the beginning, I'd like to give you introduction to the epistle. This epistle is written by St. Paul as it is clear from chapter 1, verse 1, and also chapter 16, verse 21. In these two verses, St. Paul mentioned his name as the author of the epistle. And St. Paul wrote this letter while he was in Ephesus. As it is clear from chapter 16, verse 8. So he wrote this letter from Ephesus. As it is clear from verse, chapter 16, verse 8. The time of writing this epistle probably in the spring of 57 AD. Spring of 57. Shortly before the Pentecost, because St. Paul mentioned uh, in uh, chapter 16, verse 8, that he is going to celebrate the Pentecost. So, during the 50 days celebration after resurrection, most probably St. Paul wrote this letter during his third missionary trip. In the third missionary trip, as it's clear from Acts chapter 19, from verse 1 to 41, when he was in Ephesus. So the place of writing Ephesus, the time of writing during the third missionary trip, uh, in the spring, shortly before the Pentecost. Why St. Paul wrote this letter. Let me give you a little background. Corinth was a very important commercial center which made it easy to be a place of all sorts of vice and sin and evil because people come to Corinth from everywhere. And also, its closeness to Athens added the problem of intellectualism. As you know, Greece was known with philosophy. Like all the Greek, all the philosophers, like Aristotle, like Plato, were from Greek. So Corinth was close to Athens in Greece. That's why and being a center for trade, commercial center, made Corinth a center for all sorts of vice and sin, and also all the philosophers and uh, those who like intellectualism, you know, uh, dwelt also in Corinth. So 
had fully established the church in Corinth during his second missionary trip. So St. Paul established the church during his second missionary trip in Corinth. Uh, as we read in Acts chapter 18, his stay in Corinth, the stay of St. Paul in Corinth, can be divided into three sections. First one, he was abiding with Aquila and Priscilla because Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers and this was a profession of St. Paul and he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath then he moved to the house of Justus, or Justice, and abiding there and teaching for about a year and a half. So in the beginning, he dwelt with Akil and Briskella, and during this time, he was teaching in the synagogue every Sabbath. Then he moved to the house of Justice, and he taught for a year and six months. Then actually, an incident happened before Galileo. And after this incident, St. Paul left Corinth, as we read in Acts chapter 18, verse 12 to 18. The incident that happened before Galileo the proconsul of Achaia, and after this, St. Paul left Corinth. As I told you, Corinth was a place for all sorts of vices. That's why the church also was affected by the immoral environment found in the city. And because of intellectualism and its closest to Athens, pride divided actually the church and caused disruption in the service. So we can say that immorality and immodicity, lack of pride, found its way to the church, which gave that reputation to the church in Corinth. Also, there were some personal conflicts between the members of the church, and they took this personal conflict with them. They took this personal conflict before the courts, the pagan courts or the heathen courts, instead of trying to solve these issues among themselves in the church. So this was another problem. 
that the people, the brethren, the believers, were complaining one another before the heathen courts. So we spoke about the problem of immorality, the problem of pride which divided the church, and also the problem of going before courts. Other issues in Corinth, or in the church of Corinth, included questions about marriage, questions about meat sacrificed to the idols, about women praying and prophesying with their heads uncovered, about the use of spiritual gifts, questions about the resurrection from the dead, and also questions about the collection, the donation, the contribution for the poor and the saints in Jerusalem. So the church of Corinth had many, many issues. And there were, there were many problems in the church of Corinth, and these problems and these questions needed to be answered. That's why when St. Paul heard about this news, St. Paul decided to write to them from Ephesus. How St. Paul heard about this news? Probably there are two sources. As we read in chapter 1 verse 11, from the house of Chloe, from the household of Chloe. And also we understand from chapter 7 verse 1 that some brethren sent him a letter. So he heard about the news from the household of Chloe and letter that was sent to him. Possibly this letter was written by the hands of Stephanas, Fortunatus, and Achacius. As we understand from this, from chapter 16 and verse 17. So in order to answer these questions and to correct the wrong practices and to refute the false doctrine, St. Paul wrote this letter. And we can actually outline the letter, the introduction and the greeting, chapter 1, from verse 1 to 9. Then actually from chapter 1 verse 10 to chapter 6 verse 20, he addressed the problems reported by the household of Chloe, mainly the division in the church and also the sexual immorality and the lawsuits among the brethren and also the moral defilements. So in these six chapters, 
St. Paul addressed four problems. The divisions in the church, the sexual immorality, the lawsuits among the brethren, and the moral defilements. Then from chapter 7 to chapter 16, St. Paul addressed the problems mentioned in the letter that he received. And he answered questions regarding marriage and celibacy, eating meats, sacrifice to idols, women praying and prophesying with heads uncovered. Also, he answered questions regarding the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, regarding spiritual gifts, regarding the resurrection from the dead, and regarding collection for the saints. So actually, in this letter, St. Paul addressed 11 subjects. The division in the church, sexual immorality, lawsuits among the brethren, the moral defilements, marriage and celibacy, eating meat sacrificed to the idols, women praying and prophesying with their heads uncovered, the communion or the Eucharist, spiritual gifts, resurrection from the dead, and collection for the saints. So we addressed 11 different issues in this letter. Then the last point in this in the, in the epistle is the conclusion or the concluding remarks instruction and benediction. This was like a summary to the whole letter. Today we'll start studying chapter 1. In this chapter, St. Paul actually started by expressing his gratitude that the Corinthians had been enriched by God and did not come behind in any gift because, because of the grace of God that worked in them, they were lacking in no gifts. But actually, because the lack of love, these gifts were abused and caused division among them. So they were lacking nothing in gifts, but they were lacking love. That's why the gifts were abused. They abused spiritual gifts, and this caused division in the church. Also, they were eagerly waiting for the second coming of the Lord, as all the churches during the first century. Because the apostles were preaching the parousia of the Lord at the second coming. So everybody actually was expecting that the Lord will come very, very soon. He started by addressing the first problem, which is the division in the church the schism in the church. And he told them 
the underlying cause of the division is the exaltation of the human wisdom. That's why he wanted to switch the focus from the human wisdom and the human philosophy to the divine wisdom. And St. Paul proved to them the foolishness of boasting and taking pride in the human wisdom. And he taught them how to acquire the divine wisdom. And by acquiring the divine wisdom, then actually we will have same mind, same spirit together. So now let's start reading verse by verse from chapter 1 and understand this letter. Verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and sustains our brother. Some Christian teacher from Jewish background, we call them the Judaizers. Judaizers are the Christian teachers from Jewish background. Those Judaizers, when they visited the church in Corinth, actually they tried to belittle his authority. So he said that St. Paul is not an apostle like the twelve apostles because he did not meet the Lord. He was not one of the twelve who accompanied the Lord. That's why St. Paul started this letter by saying that he is called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is asserting his apostleship, not in private, but actually to give authority to his letter. To say that the words that I will mention in this letter are not my words, but the word of Jesus Christ who sent me, because I am his apostle. I am his ambassador. I am his steward. So what I am writing to you is not human words, but divine words. That's why he starts by saying, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. God the Father separated him, sanctified him, chose him, even from the womb of his mother. As he said in his letter to Galatians, that God the Father separated him, consecrated him, sanctified him from the womb of his mother. That's why he said, by the will of God. And as he say, you need to have two witnesses. So, if you want to confirm any doctrine, 
at least you need to have two witnesses. That's why he took, mentioned another person as if this letter was not sent from one person but from two persons. The other person is Sustenese. So he has Sustenese with himself that this doctrine might be confirmed by two witnesses, St. Paul and Sustenese. Who is Sustenese? As we read in Acts chapter 18, verse 17, Sustenese was the chief ruler of the synagogue of Corinth. He was the chief ruler of the synagogue of, at Corinth. And he accepted Christ. And now he is writing this letter with St. Paul. Verse 2. To the church of God. Just I told you that Corinth was full of problems. The church in Corinth had division, sexual immorality, brethren uh, taking their brothers into the court, many, many issues. But in spite of all these issues, and in spite of all these problems, St. Paul calls them the church of God. In spite of our faults, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our weaknesses, we are the church, the church of God. And because we are the church of God, we need to live up to this standard. We need to live up to our calling. So actually by calling them the church of God, he's giving them, he's motivating them. Motivating them to live up to that standard. They are the children of God. To the church of God which is at Corinth. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Again, St. Paul reminding them that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross in order to sanctify us, in order to make us holy. He died on the cross in order to give us a holy life. So this is another motiva motivation. You are the church of God. You are sanctified. You need to live up to this standard. Be holy as your heavenly Father is also holy. Who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints. Why Jesus sanctified us? Why God the Father sanctified us in Jesus? Because he called us to be saints. So when he said we were sanctified in Christ Jesus, he wanted to explain that our sanctification comes from God through Jesus Christ, his Son. And when he said called to be saints, then this is the goal. Why God sanctified us? Because he wants us to be saints. And in the divine liturgy, 
Because we understand from the scripture and from the teaching of St. Paul that every believer should be a saint and is called to be a saint. In the Divine Liturgy, at the end, Abuna says, the holies for the holy. The holies referring to the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The holies to the holy or for the holy, the holy are us, the saints. We who are called to be saints. Not only the people in Corinth are called to be saints, but actually God called everybody in the whole world. That's why he said, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. So this letter was not only sent to Corinth, although this letter addressing issues and problems in the church of Corinth, but every person, every church in the whole world can benefit from this letter. And until now we benefit from this letter. As we are going to see, this letter is considered an instrumental letter in you know, leading the church into the life of repentance. So this letter is sent to everybody who calls the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean, who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord? It means those who accept Jesus Christ, who recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as their God, as their Savior, as their King. That's why they are calling on his name day and night. Both theirs and ours. The Lord Jesus Christ is their God and also our God. So God is the Lord of the saints everywhere. Whether in Corinth or in any other place in the world. Why is St. Paul saying this? Because he will address the issue of division. So if God is our Lord, and God is our fathers, and we are the our Father, and we are the body of Christ, Christ has one body. And if Christ has one body, then we have to live in unity. We shouldn't have division or split among ourselves. That's why he's reminding them we should be in unity, not only in the local church of Corinth, but with all the Christians in the whole world. Because Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours, he is their God and our God. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Usually St. Paul, in all his greetings, use the same words, grace and peace. This is actually the apostolic benediction. Although it was very appropriate to the church of Corinth, because as I told you, this church was, had many, many problems. So they need the grace of God in order to overcome the problem. And they need the peace, because it's very difficult not to lose your peace. 
in the midst of problem. In the midst of the problems, usually the person loses his peace. That's why St. Paul is saying grace and peace. But actually everyone needs grace and peace. We need grace because without the grace we cannot achieve anything. And we need peace in order to keep our hearts joyful and happy in the midst of all the hardships and the difficulties and the trials that we face in every day. That's why we should always pray for these two gifts, the peace and grace. Every morning when you pray, ask God to give you His peace and to bestow upon you His grace. Grace and peace. And I like to use this as our greeting. Peace and grace. Actually, we use it in Arabic a lot. Salamu ni'ma. Peace and grace. We need these two gifts. The gift of peace and the gift of grace. Verse 4. After his greeting from verse 1 to verse 3, from verse 4 to 9, St. Paul is giving thanks to God because the church in Corinth, as I told you, they had many spiritual gifts. As you know, the Holy Spirit gave us gifts. And we differentiate between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Gifts are tools. We are using these tools like gift of administration, gift of teaching, gift of service, gift of tongues, gift of knowledge. But if we don't have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, then these gifts will be abused. And if we start to abuse the gifts of the Spirit, what do we expect to have? Divisions. Tension among the servants. Because we have the gifts, but we don't have the fruit of the Spirit. That's why St. Paul started by acknowledging the spiritual gifts at Corinth and praising God because he gave these gifts to his people in Corinth. But after this, he started to tell them, now you have all these gifts, but you don't have what? You don't have the fruit, you don't have love. That's why you are fighting with one another. He said in verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. So, St. Paul started by giving thanks to God and commending them for their virtue. Before he speaks 
about their problems, he blessed them for their virtues and the grace that they had. And actually, let us learn from St. Paul. If you are going to address a problem or something negative with anybody, let's start first by mentioning some positive. Don't start with the negative, but start first with something positive. And after you acknowledge the positive, then you can speak about the negative. But also we wanted to tell them that if we abuse the gift of God, we should be ashamed. He said, I thank God to emphasize that these gifts are from God. You did not get these gifts by your efforts. You did not get these gifts by your human works. That's why they are called gifts. Three gifts from God. So he's giving thanks to God. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Also he's teaching them if we receive the gift, let us give thanks to God. As Isaac of Syria said, there is no gift without abundance except the one without thanksgiving. So if God gave you gift and you did not give thanks to God, this gift will not abound. Verse 5. That you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and all knowledge. St. Paul said, you are enriched because God is the source of all riches. He enriches you with these gifts, not only the natural gifts, but the supernatural gifts, like the gift of healing, like the gift of tongues, like the gift of miracles. Also God gives them the gift of knowledge and the gift of wisdom. That's why he said, in all utterance and all knowledge. They were good teachers, eloquent teachers, and also they excelled in knowledge. Verse, uh, verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. He said, the fact that you have these gifts means that the testimony of Christ is confirmed in you. You accept the gospel of Christ. That's why the Holy Spirit, after you were baptized, came upon you. And because you received the Holy Spirit, now you have these gifts. So these gifts confirmed the testimony of Christ, confirmed that you received the Lord Jesus Christ. 
is why you became not inferior to any other church that received the gifts of the Spirit. As he said in verse 7, so that you come short in no gift. You come short in no gift. It is the richness of God who enriches you in every gift. Knowledge, utterance, supernatural gifts, healing, tongues, miracles. So you are lacking nothing if you compared yourself with other churches. And also, he reminded them that eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why he is reminding them that they are eagerly waiting? Christ, when he comes in his second coming, he will come to serve the world. Then at that time, we will give an account about the gifts that we received. We will stand before his throne, giving account whether we made profit with these gifts or we abused the gifts. So after St. Paul told them about the gifts that they had received, he reminded them with the accountability and responsibility. You will stand before Christ to give an account. You are eagerly waiting. And when he comes, he will give each one according to his deeds. Those who use the gift wisely and faithfully, they will hear his good voice. Well done, you good and faithful servant. You are faithful on what's little. I will appoint you on what's much. But those who abused the gifts, they will hear, depart from me, lazy and wicked servant. So it's reminding them with the second coming of Christ. Verse 8. Who will also confirm you to the end. That you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you, if you know that, you will give an account. Don't lose heart. Because Christ promised to be with us before his ascension, he said, I will be with you all the days and unto the end of the ages. And if Christ is with us, then he is able to confirm us to the end. He is able to establish us. So don't trust on your efforts, but trust on the grace of God. Abide in Christ and let him abide in you. When you abide in him and he abides in you, then actually you will be confirmed to the end. Then at the day of his coming, you will found blameless, without blame, without blemish. But actually if you separated yourself from Christ, then in the day of his second coming, you, be, you will be found with blemish. So, if you want to be free from blame in the day of judgment, abide in Christ, and Christ will keep his promise. 
He promised to be with us. This man, God is faithful. So St. Paul is assuring us, God is faithful. He will keep his promise to confirm you, to establish you. Just stay in his hand, abide in him. Don't move away from him. Because if you choose to move away from him, God respects our freedom. He doesn't want to impose himself on us. So abide in him and he will establish you and confirm you. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. That's why he called us to the fellowship of his son. Means what the fellowship? God has one son, the only begotten son. All of us who are not children by nature. But God called us to the fellowship. Means what? The fellowship of his son. To abide in son and the son abide in us. To be united with the son. When we are united with the son, then we are what? We are children of God and the son. So St. Paul is saying, if God doesn't want us to inherit the kingdom of God, why he called us to the fellowship of his son? The fact that God called us to the fellowship of his son means God will do whatever it takes in order to establish me and confirm me. Just now it is my part. Whether I will be in Christ or separate myself. God died on the cross to save me. God is faithful to confirm me and to establish me. But what I am going to do? Am I going to abide in Christ or not? This is the question. So his calling to the fellowship of his son is a proof of what? Of his faithfulness. From verse 10 to verse 17, St. Paul addressed the division in the church of Corinth. In verse 10, he started by saying, Now I plead with you, Plead with you means I beg you, I entreat you. So St. Paul here, the word I plead with you, show his earnest uh, trying to, to, to keep the unity of the church. How he wants them to be in oneness and in unity. Now I plead with you, I beg you, I plead with you, brethren, and he is reminding them they are brothers, brothers and sisters, and if they are brothers and, and sisters, then he should not, there has no, we shouldn't have any division. If we are brethren, then we shouldn't have any split or any division. 
great nephew brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am pleading not in my name, but in the name of Jesus who called us, because we are in his body. And if we are the body of Christ, Christ has one body, then we need to maintain this unity, to be one in Christ. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, and he mentioned some point here, very important. Number one, that you all speak the same, the same thing. Speak the same thing. Means what? Means not everybody will say his own doctrine, his own teaching, his own declaration. But all of us, we should speak the same thing. Because we have only one faith. Unfortunately, now the Christian, they are not speaking the same thing. They have different doctrines. The Protestant teach one thing, the Catholic teach other thing, the Orthodox teach the truth in the Gospel. But we are not speaking the same thing. St. Paul is saying, you, the Church of God, as brethren, you should speak the same thing. And that there be no division among you. Also, don't make parties, don't make groups inside the church. You shouldn't have divisions inside the church. But all of us should have fellowship with one another, be in unity, be in oneness. The division means we are not the body of Christ. Because Christ has one body. That you may that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind. Joined together in the same mind. So St. Paul said even if there are, if there is disagreement, but this disagreement in opinion, not in doctrine, in personal opinions, should not cause us to divide or to split. So our differences should complement one another, should not split us. If we are different, then actually, I can complement you and you complement me. This will maintain our unity. That's why he said, be one mind. I will put my opinion next to your opinion. I will put my mind next to your mind. Then we'll have a better opinion. And they say, two heads are better than one head. So, these differences in opinion can complement one another and thus we will be joined together, joined together perfectly in the same mind. When we speak the same thing, and when we are joined together with the same mind, 
And when there is not a Kashar among us, what to expect? We will have the same judgment, the same conclusion. We will reach to the same end, conclusion, judgment. So I told them, I want you to speak the same things. Have no Kashar among you. Perfectly joined together in the same mind and also in the same judgment. Why St. Paul is saying this? Because it's clear that the church in Corinth was separated into groups. As I said in verse 11, for it has been declared to me concerning you. St. Paul is telling them, I heard a report about you. My brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. There are contentions among you. So, how St. Paul learned about the contentions from the Chloe's household. Who are the Chloe's household? Whether the children of Chloe or her servants, whether she lived at Corinth and these members of her household had come to visit St. Paul in Ephesus and told him about the contention, or maybe Chloe was living at Ephesus, then actually uh, sent Corinth, uh, visited Corinth and saw the division, so when she returned to uh, Ephesus, she told St. Paul about the contention and the division. Many times when, for example, Abuna, Abuna says to somebody, I heard about you, many times we lose our objectivity. And we focus who told you, why he told you this, and we become very defensive. But we should have the right attitude. We didn't hear about the people in Korath. They made a big fight with Chloe's household because he reported these things to St. Paul. Actually, as we learned from Second Corinthians, they took his letter in objective way. They repented. They changed to be better Christian. Unfortunately, when Abuna says to somebody, I heard about you, many times our focus, who told Abuna? And after we know who told Abuna, we start to make a big conflict with this person. How you dare and say to Abuna about me? And we lose our objectivity and we become defensive. But our focus should be how to improve ourselves. Those who told Abuna about us, maybe they have good intention. And we should think they have good intention. They are speaking about because he cared about me. Like the people from Chloe's household, they had good intention. They wanted to improve the church in Corinth. 
That's why they, they said these things to St. Paul. They didn't hide the problems from St. Paul. Again, many times we like to hide our weaknesses from, you know, like the bishop. Just want to mention to him everything is okay, but to hide our problems. This was right. When they heard about the contention in Corinth, they reported to St. Paul in order to help them, in order to pray for them, in order to give them some advice to improve the church and repent. Now I, for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of close household, that there are contentions among you. Verse 12, now I say this. Now I say this means he will explain more. He will explain in detail what he meant by contentions. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. It's clear that in Korans we had four groups. So the division caused four groups in the church of Korans. The first group called themselves the group of St. Paul. Because St. Paul established their church, so they felt loyal to St. Paul, the founder of their church, and were defending him. The other group is a group of Apollos. Maybe Apollos was from Alexandria, and as we read in the book of Acts, he was eloquent, like a philosopher. Maybe some people in Korans who loved philosophy, they loved Apollos for his wisdom. That's why they call themselves, you know, the group of Apollos. And the third group, most probably, they were from Jewish background and claimed to be following St. Peter. St. Paul used here Kephas, his Hebrew name, who want to keep the Jewish tradition in order to be saved. And this group claimed to turn away from all these human leaders, whether it's Paul or Peter or Apollos, and, and they said we are the group of Christ. So we had four groups in Corinth. The group of Paul, the group of Peter, the group of Apollos, and the group of Christ. And there was contention, division, between these four groups. Verse 14, uh, verse 13, St. Paul is wondering, and he told them, is Christ divided? You are the body of Christ. And Christ is one. 
So the fact you are four groups, as if you are saying Christ divided. So you say, can the body of Christ, can the body be cut into four parts? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Who died for you? Who redeemed you? Yes, St. Paul is the founder of the church. But does this mean you are the group of Paul? Was Paul crucified for you? The cross of Christ binding us to Christ himself, our Savior. Whether it is Paul or Apollos or Peter, they are servants of God. But, but who are the children of Christ? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? In baptism, we are baptized in the name of Christ. We died with Christ and we rose with Christ. So actually in baptism, the death and resurrection, it is the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. So, if we know that Christ is not divided, and if we know that Christ is the one who, who died for us on the cross, and in baptism we died with him, why do we say you are the children of Paul, who are the children of Peter, who are the children of Apollos? And then St. Paul said in, uh, in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. St. Paul established the church in Corinth, but as an, as an apostle, he was preaching, and his fellow servants or fellow ministers were baptizing. And St. Paul was glad that he did not baptize anybody, personally. Why? He's not belittling the importance of baptism as a sacrament for salvation. But St. Paul was trying to say, I am afraid if I baptize anybody, you believe or you think that you are baptized in my name, and you are my children because you are, I am the one who baptizes you. So St. Paul was concerned that a misunderstanding may happen. If Paul baptizes somebody, then they believe they are baptized in the name of Paul, not in the name of Christ. That's why he said, I thank God that I baptize the son of you except Crispus and Gaius. Who is Crispus? Crispus was a chief ruler of the synagogue at Corinth, as we read in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, and Gaius, he was with St. Paul, sorry, he was the host of St. Paul at Corinth when the epistle to the Romans was written. So Gaius was the host of St. Paul in Corinth when he wrote the epistle to Romans. Verse 15, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. 
St. Paul explaining why he said, I thank God that I baptized none of you. So St. Paul is not speaking against baptism, but again, he was concerned at least people misunderstand and say they were baptized in the name of Paul. Verse 16, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Household of Stephanas was the first fruit of Achaia, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. And Stephanas was one of the three Corinthians that visiting, visited St. Paul at Ephesus, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 17. Besides, I do not know whether I baptize any other. So he, he did not recall except Crispus, Gaius, and the household of Stephanas. Again, St. Paul did not intend to belittle baptism, but was saying, in the division of labor, I was not called to baptize as an apostle, but I was called to preach, and others were called to baptize. That's why in verse 17 he said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Means what? For everybody has, everybody in the church has his calling, his responsibility. And usually I say, if the bishop does the responsibility of the priest, then actually he's wasting his time. Because God called the bishop to do certain things that the priest cannot do. And if the priest is doing the responsibility of the deacons, then he is wasting his time. And if the deacon is doing the responsibility of the lay people, then they are wasting their time. Everybody actually is called for a certain mission. And we should know what is our mission and we do it. The lay person in his mission, in his role, the servants in the role, the coordinator of the servants in the role, the deacons in the role, the coordinator of the deacons in the role, the priest in the role, the bishop in his role. That's why St. Paul said, as an apostle, my responsibility is to preach and to establish the churches. But the responsibility of the priests is to baptize. That's why I, I, I focused on preaching the gospel and establishing the churches. Because this is the responsibility of the bishop or, or the apostle. But baptism, the priest will baptize. That's what he meant by Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And, and then St. Paul started to explain to them, what is the reason behind the division? They had all knowledge, they had spiritual gifts. But the reason behind the division 
they were seeking earthly wisdom, not the wisdom that's from heaven. That's why he said, Christ sent me to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So, he was saying, if you are using the human wisdom, actually you are hiding the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the cross of Christ. But we need actually to tell the story of salvation, the mystery of the cross as is. We should not hide the cross of Christ by the wisdom of the world. Unfortunately, many preachers right now, they just want to attract the people by the eloquency of their words. And they don't speak about the cross. They don't speak about suffering. They don't speak about the narrow gate. They don't speak about uh, the, the difficult way. They don't speak about the hardships that the Christian should bear. Just they use the, the wisdom of the world in order to attract Christians to them. But as St. Paul said, they are making the cross of Christ of no effect. As if the cross of Christ has no effect. In verse 18, he said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The message of the cross, when we preach the crucified Christ, and when actually we say to the people, you need to suffer, you need to carry your cross, the Lord said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, carry your cross, and follow me. Many people say, we don't like to go to the Orthodox Church. Why? Because usually when you go to the Orthodox Church, they speak to you about, you need to suffer with Christ, you need to carry your cross, the narrow gate, the, the difficult way. But other churches, other denominations, they don't speak about these things. As if they preach the wide gate and the broad way. That's why St. Paul said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. If you don't accept the message of the cross, the person will not be saved. That's why he said, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Yes, in the cross there is suffering, but in the cross there is power. We should not focus on the suffering only, but there is suffering and resurrection. 
Satan was defeated by the cross of Christ. It is the power of God. So don't be ashamed from the message of the cross. Yes, you will enter through the narrow gate. You will walk in the difficult way, but you are more than conquered in Jesus Christ who died on the cross. The cross is our victory. So the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, those who refuse Christ and refuse his cross. Foolishness because many people they reject the divinity of Christ because of the cross. Like the wrong Christian, they say, do you think that God will die on the cross? They deny the divinity of Christ because of the cross. They consider this foolishness. That's why he said about them, those who are perishing. And it's foolishness for them. But to us who are being saved, those who are being saved who accepted Christ and accepted the cross of Christ, the message of salvation, it is the power of God. It empowers me, empowers me in my struggle, in my suffering. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. This verse is written in Isaiah 29 verse 14. Isaiah 29 verse 14. Means that I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Means God will put aside the wisdom and understanding of men. The wisdom of men will not save us. But he will save us. But what others may consider foolishness by the mystery of the cross. That's why he said to bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. The philosophy of Aristotle and Plato could not save the people, but the cross of Christ saved us. That's why in verse 20, St. Paul said, Where are the wise? Where are the Greek philosophers? Was Aristotle and Plato able to save us? Where is the scribe? Where is the Jewish leaders? Those who wrote the, the, the law and memorized the law, were they able to save us? Where is the disputer of this age? The disputer, probably the Greek teachers who disputed daily in public places, were those who are doing research and trust in science. Were they able to save the world by the science and research? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? All their worldly wisdom is excluded from the plan of salvation, from God's plan of salvation. God made foolish the wisdom of this world. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, 
If a world that through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So, St. Paul is saying, the people through the healthy wisdom did not know God. The people couldn't be saved by the earthly wisdom, like the Greek philosopher, like the, the, the wise of the Jews. They could not know God. They couldn't know God. The world through wisdom did not know God. So God's wisdom, this is the heavenly wisdom. God's wisdom planned to save us through the message of the cross, through the crucified Christ. This message was considered foolishness to the wise of the world. That's why those who believed in this message that the crucified Christ saved, were saved. Verse 22. For the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. Jews request not even a miracle, they want a sign from heaven. The Jews said, if Christ is God, let him descend from heaven. If he rose from the dead, let him come down from heaven and we will believe in him. If Christ descended from heaven, we will believe in him. So they were requesting a sign. And the Greek actually demanded a good argument. A good argument. As they argued with St. Paul in uh, Athens. Verse 23, our preaching will not please the Jews, will not please the Greek. Why? Because we preach Christ crucified. We preach the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We preach salvation through the cross. We preach not merely Christ, but crucified Christ. The Jews who are demanding a sign, they will stumble at the cross of Christ. And the Greek who demands philosophy and wisdom, they will consider the cross foolishness. So we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Because the Jews had entirely different concept of Christ. That's why he became a stumbling block for them. And for the Greek, according to the human mind, how can we believe in person who died on the cross and was humiliated like this? How can we, be, how can we believe that this is God? That's why they consider this foolishness. But to those who are called, verse 24, who are called those who obey the gospel, those who accepted the gospel, both Jews and Greek, whether they are from Jewish or Greek or any other nation, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. The cross is the wisdom 
by which one saved. The cross is the power of God. We defeat Satan and we defeat all our enemies. So Christ was found to us mighty and wise. And St. Paul is said, the foolishness of God, if we consider foolishness, it is wiser than the wisdom of men. And what we call it weakness of God is mightier than the strength of men. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. On Good Friday, in a hymn called Monaganese, we say, Holy Mighty, who through his weakness showed what is more powerful than strength. That's what St. Paul is saying here. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The crucified Savior is mightier and wiser than all the strength of men. So if fully and weakness be of God, this will be wiser and stronger than men. Then St. Paul concluded this chapter by instructing us not to glory in our wisdom and our knowledge, but to boast in Christ. Not to glory that we are the children of Paul or Peter or Apollos, but to glory only and to boast only in Christ. Verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. St. Paul wants to prove that the weakness of God is stronger than men and the foolishness of God is wiser than men. So we thought, see who are called. God did not call the wise. God did not call, did not choose the noble. God did not choose the mighty. Actually, it was very humble. It was fishermen. And by this fisherman, he spread Christianity in the whole world. He did not choose wise and mighty people. Just very humble. That's why he said, for you see your calling, brethren. Not many wise according to the flesh. You will not find many wise or called. Not many mighty. Not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God chose people whom the world will describe them as foolish. And God used to think these people actually to overturn and to put to shame the philosophers who trusted their own wisdom and their own philosophy. God has chosen the weak things of the world so that 
we put our trust in him not on the power of money on the, the strength of people to put to shame the things which are mighty God chose the peace the things of the world the holy things of the world and the things which are despised people that the world would call them nobody God chose them in order to put to shame and to break to nothing the things that they are to put to nothing things that are like the existing state of civilization uh, government the pagan religious religion all these things actually were overthrown by Christianity not by the sword but by the, the power of the cross. Other religions were spread by the sword, but Christianity was spread by the power of the cross. What the world considers foolishness and weakness, actually this spread Christianity in the whole world. And now, because God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And he chose the best things of the world and the things that are despised. God has chosen and things which are not considered nobody, nothing. But to choose this nothing to break to nothing actually the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Nobody will glory before God. Because God is the source of all power and all wisdom. Nobody will glory in his presence. And also we should not glory in human being. But of him, verse 30, of him you are in Christ Jesus. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. You became righteous and you became saints because of him, because of God who called you in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. So Jesus, who is the power and wisdom, also became wisdom for us. We became wise in him. We became wise in him. We became powerful in him. He became for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Four things St. Paul mentioned here. So of God, of God, we are called, God called us in Christ Jesus. And now in Christ Jesus, we obtain these four things. Our wisdom from Christ. Our righteousness, we became righteous. Progress of the righteousness of Christ. We became holy, we are sanctified by Him. And also we are redeemed from our sins. Redemption, sanctification, righteousness, and wisdom. So Christ is all of these things to us. And he concluded by saying that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord.
In Christ, we received every grace that we enjoy. And in Christ, He bestowed every blessing on us. That is, we cannot glory in Paul or Apollos or Kephas, but we glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the division in the church was caused because they were glorifying in people, boasting in human beings. But St. Paul said, no. All wisdom comes from God, so all of us we should glory in God. And if all of us we glory in God, then we will be in unity. We will maintain our unity. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.